reading will be from 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. We have a lot of our own number away. It's spring break. So we have a lot of people out of town, some going out of town. We want to keep them in our prayers as they travel from place to place. Also, to those of you who are visiting, who may be traveling, we want to welcome you. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We want to pray for you as you journey as well. We're going to be looking today at 2 Kings chapter 20. We're going to be talking about Hezekiah's sobriety test. We understand why individuals receive sobriety tests from time to time. The reason law enforcement officials will administer a sobriety test is to find out whether or not somebody's been drinking. They want to know whether or not the person behind the wheel is in his or her right mind. From a spiritual perspective, sometimes it's good for us to take a sobriety test. And really, when you look at 2 Kings chapter 20, you find Isaiah the prophet going to Hezekiah, one of the good kings in the history of Israel, and administering what might be called a sobriety test. And so with that in mind, I want to call your attention to the first seven verses in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 20. And we're going to be talking about this theme for just a moment. But the first thing I want to talk to you about today has to do with the sickness of Hezekiah. And really what we're emphasizing in this particular point is his problem. And he had a very real problem. Note, if you would, what is said in chapter 20, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. First of all, we think about the announcement that he is facing death. I want you to... Think with me for just a moment that this announcement, this news that reaches the ears of Hezekiah was very pointed. Imagine if you can stepping into the doctor's office only to hear him tell you in a very blunt and emphatic manner, you're going to die. Now, you know, there are a lot of things that, that we hear from time to time and day to day as we travel here on earth. But there are some things that carry a great deal of weight with them. Sometimes we talk about people getting hit with a ton of bricks. Well, this would be like getting hit with a ton of bricks. For Isaiah the prophet, one of God's great men, to step into the king's chambers and say unto him, listen, the sickness that you currently have right now is fatal. 
Now you want to talk about news that's pointed, news that's to the point. Well, here it is. But then also, note if you would, the action that Hezekiah is to take in the face of death. We think about this news being pointed, but also it's not just pointed, but it is preemptive. Here is news that is preemptive. What do we mean when we talk about preemptive news? Well, we're talking about somebody taking action. In other words, taking forethought. And so listen again to what Isaiah the prophet said in the long ago. He said, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. Now, it was, very, it was a very pointed statement to tell the king, look, you're going to die. But now, in light of your death, here's what you need to do. You need to set your house in order. There are individuals that live here in this country that are facing death. There are people in this city that are under hospice care. As a result of that, they know that the end is near, that death is nigh. So typically, they'll begin to set things in order. We think about from a material vantage point, getting our affairs in order. In other words, we're trying to take care of loose ends, get our business settled so that at our decease, our family members, the administrator of our state can come in and, and handle the affairs accordingly, according to our wishes and our wants. That's why we write a will, because we expect our estate to be executed in a proper manner. Well, it's good to take care of those business, those business things that may be looming out there before us. But more importantly, it's imperative that we look at this from a spiritual vantage point. Now, Hezekiah was a good man. As a matter of fact, he was one of the better kings in the history of Israel. But when Isaiah the prophet went to Hezekiah, he said, look, you're going to die. Now, here's what you need to do. You need to set your house in order. Let me just ask this question. Is your house in order? Now, typically we think about those physical things that we want to take care of. Do we have a will? Do we have life insurance? Will our children be taken care of if something were to happen to us? How will my estate be executed, etc.? But more importantly, is your house in order, spiritually speaking? There are two things that I would share with you, first of all, or along these lines. If you're living as an alien sinner, and by that I mean somebody who's never obeyed the gospel of Christ, then the bottom line is your house is not in order. You're not ready to meet the Lord because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, verse 23. Paul would write in Ephesians 2 at verse 12 that those who are outside a covenant relationship with the Lord are without hope and without God in this world. And so those who have never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, the bottom line is they need to set their house in order. They need to get right with Almighty God before it's too late. Now the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is a reality in this world. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3 that there is none righteous, no, not one. 
We know that sin is the transgression of the law, based on 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Those of us who have lived long enough to reach the age of accountability, we understand that we will ultimately be held liable or responsible for our sins. And so if you're an alien sinner, that is, if you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you need to set your house in order. But then also, what about those who are apostate saints? In other words, here's somebody that's obeyed the gospel, but gone back into the world. And here's somebody that at one time put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, realized the importance of becoming a child of God, was baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins, based on Acts chapter 2, verse 38, added to the body of Christ, Acts 2, verse 47, but for whatever reason, went back into the world. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, Peter talks about those who have forsaken the right way. There are some people within the body of Christ that for whatever reason have forsaken the right way. Maybe it's because of the appeal of the world. We know that the world is a very strong and appealing thing that Satan uses to circumvent the faith of people. It could be because of tribulation or persecution. It could be because of the trials of life, whatever the case may be. There are people within the body of Christ that have gone back into the world. Now Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, that those who go back into the world, he said, it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after having known it, to go back into that prior state of living. He said, it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog has returned to his own vomit, and the sow that was washed to wallowing in the mire. I know that there are people that for whatever reason have gone back into the world, and the bottom line is, those who are in the world, those who belong to the body of Christ, who are unfaithful members of the Lord's church, they need to come home. They need to set their house in order. Because you and I, as members of the human family, we have no idea how long we will live here upon this earth. I've thought before, and it's not original to me, but when you really look at it from... From one vantage point, I am a dying man preaching to dying people. Because you see, the fact of the matter is, at some point in time, unless Jesus comes first, I'm going to die. At some point in time, you will die unless the Lord comes first. Now, maybe we don't like to think about it like that, but that's just the fact of the matter. The Bible says, It is appointed unto man once to die, after this cometh the judgment. Hebrews 9, verse 27. Life is compared to a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. James 4, 14. The psalmist said that the days of our years may be threescore and ten. We may live to be fourscore years of age. In other words, we may live to be 70 or 80 years of age. But the psalmist said it's soon cut off and we fly away. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. The idea is that we need to take full usage of the time that God has allotted us here upon this earth. All right, think with me secondly. We've talked about the sickness of Hezekiah. But note now, if you would, the supplication 
of Hezekiah. That is his prayer. Now, Hezekiah has just been informed he's going to die and not live. He's been instructed to set his house in order. If, if a physician were to tell you this week, look, you're not going to make it, you're going to die, what would, what would you do? I talked to a man one time that said a doctor came into his room and told him, look, you've got colon cancer. He said the very first thing he did was prayed. Look at what it said in verse 2. Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord. Here's what Hezekiah did. He poured his heart out to Jehovah God. Why do you think he did that? Because he understood the gravity of the situation. When you start talking about life and death, when you start talking about, look, the end is near, it's time to get your house in order. It's time to begin thinking about Jehovah God. Now, he turned to the Lord because he realized that the Lord had the power to save him from death. But note if you would, in verse 3, Hezekiah, there are two things about his, about his prayer that we need to look at. First of all, his truthfulness. He said, remember now, O Lord, I, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. So here Hezekiah, in pouring his heart out to Almighty God, acknowledges the fact that, look, I've sought to the best of my ability to do what was right, to live for you. To be a loyal and faithful servant of yours. Which was more than could be said for many of the people that lived during the days of Hezekiah. But Hezekiah, as I said a moment ago, he poured his heart out to God. One of the great blessings that you and I as children of God have is prayer. To know that we can call upon the Lord at any time, day or night. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 at verse 7, in nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. To know that we can approach the throne of Almighty God with our needs, our wants, the burdens of our heart. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. Here we have Hezekiah turning to God. And acknowledging the fact that, look, I've tried to do what was right. But then also note, not just his truthfulness, but his tears. The Bible says, and Hezekiah wept bitterly. Now, when somebody tells you you're going to die, well, that's, that's, a sobering, that's a sobering statement. It's like getting slapped in the face at full force. It's enough to bring tears to your eyes. It's enough to to bring anguish to the heart. The psalmist in Psalm 56 talks about how you put my tears in your bottle. Well, tears are not an uncommon part of life. In Revelation chapter 21, when John talks about the new heaven and the new earth, that is, this abode that we call heaven itself, eternity, the abode of the righteous, he said, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, tears will not be a part of heaven, but they are a common reality in the world in which we live. And the Bible says, by way of footnote or commentary, that Hezekiah wept bitterly. 
can just imagine. It would break your heart. Back just a chapter or so earlier, the statement was, was made or the question was asked to Hezekiah, what have they seen in your house? You start thinking about death and the fact that you're not going to be around your, your children anymore if you're a parent. You're not going to see your, your sons and your daughters anymore on this earth. You're not, going to, you're not going to be able to hug them and love them and kiss them any longer. You're not going, you're not going to be able to, to see your mate any longer, whether it's your husband or your wife. You're not going to be able to associate with your friends. You're not going to be able to engage in the things that you like to do here on planet Earth. Why? Because death will intervene. You ever seen somebody weep? I mean, literally, their heart is breaking. Because they know that death is near. Well, Hezekiah wept bitterly. I think because it was very sobering what he had just heard. So, having said that, I want you to think with me in the third place about God's restoration or the restoration or the the saving if you please of Hezekiah because when we think about the saving of Hezekiah there's some things that maybe we need to think about note if you would what is said in verse 4 when we talk about the sparing or saving of Hezekiah we're talking about his preservation And first of all, we have God's response to Hezekiah. Look at verse 4. Then it happened before Hezekiah, or rather before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord your God, I have heard your prayer. God verbally heard the prayer of Hezekiah. What does that say to me? It says that when I turn to Jehovah God as one of his children, he's going to hear my prayer. Do you remember what Peter said? The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. Here's what James said in James chapter 5, verse 16. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. God heard the prayer of this man. And he'll hear our prayers. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 4 that we are to draw boldly under the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. To know that God will verbally hear our prayers. But not only did he verbally hear his prayers, but he visibly saw his tears. Note if you would what he said in verse 5. He said, I've heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. God not only took knowledge of the prayer of Hezekiah, but he looked upon the face of Hezekiah. He saw the tears coursing his face. Sometimes we ask the question, does God care when I face the trials of life? The answer is, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. Peter said, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you, 1 Peter 5 at verse 7. God 
visibly saw the tears of Hezekiah. Now, Jesus said in Revelation 2, verse 23, that the Lord searches the reins and hearts. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, Jesus talked about how a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without our Heavenly Father knowing it. He went on to say, the very hairs of your head are numbered. And then he said, you are of more value than many sparrows. What's the idea? Look, if God is mindful of a sparrow that may fall to the ground, surely he is knowledgeable of the tears of his saints. God took knowledge of the tears of this man. And he'll take knowledge of us. Now, I said just a moment ago that the Bible says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In other words, prayer works. The power of prayer. All right, look at, look at what it said in verse 5. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Surely I will hear, heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. So what did God what did God do? God responded to the prayer of Hezekiah. He said, look, I'm going to give you 15 more years. And so we think about God's response to Hezekiah, but then God's restoration of Hezekiah. In other words, his recovery. Look at verse 7. Then Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. So they took it, or rather they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. God spared the life of Hezekiah. Now, was it a sobriety test in the life of this man? You better believe it was. For God to send word to him that, look, you're going to die. You're not going to live. What you need to do is set your house in order. Well, that, that called for some immediate action on the part of Hezekiah. Thankfully, the Lord, the Lord heard his prayer. The Lord responded in a positive way, and said, look, I'm going to add 15 years to your life. Well, what a great story. What a great story in the life of this good king. But in closing, I want to just, I want to remind you, I want to remind all of us, that life is extremely brief. We are not promised another day here upon this earth. When you read, when you read Scripture, Emphasis is on today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 at verse 2, Paul said, Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not next year. Today. Many, many years ago, when I was just a teenager, I remember having a lady come up to me. I had just been baptized, and she told me about her brother that had been sitting with a friend. And this friend was thinking about being baptized. And so if I remember, remember correctly, her brother said, don't do it today, wait till next week. And she said, you know what? That boy drowned before the next Sunday. That's why God said to Hezekiah, set your house in order. Do it today. If you're outside of Christ, 
Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, but today. What would you need to do to become a, a New Testament Christian? Well, the Bible says you need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Hebrews 11. You need to be willing to repent, to turn from a life of sin, as Peter said on Pentecost Day in Acts 2, verse 38. To confess his name before others, just like the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37, that you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And then to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, for the washing away of your sins, Acts 22, verse 16. The Lord will then add you to the church that is the body of Christ, Acts 2, verse 37, or rather 47. And then if you live faithfully, until death, the promise is the crown of life, James 1, verse 12. If you're here today, you're not, you're not a member of the church, why not obey the gospel? If you're here, maybe you're not faithful to the, to the cause of Christ. Maybe your life's not what it should be. Why not, why not do what the prodigal son did in the long ago? Come home. Come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon, based on 1 John 1, verse 9. Why not come as we stand and sing?